Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope, including our worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Chad Johnson. We are in the middle uh, of a series called Little Books. It's Little Books 2. We've done this before. And the hope is that this series shows you something about the little books. They're short. For those of us who have a hard time getting into the scripture, we want to give you an easy win. So start with these little books. Read them after the service so you guys get a feel for getting into God's word. It's an easy win. But today I've taken the ridiculous challenge of unpacking 2 Peter for you guys today. Now, this is a really beautiful book. It's only three chapters, so it's, you can sit down and read it in a few minutes. Actually, my sermon is probably longer than you would, it would take you to read the book. But there's some beautiful verses in there, particularly one that uh, most people quote uh, about a dog returning to its vomit. Yeah, maybe not so beautiful, but it's in there. And then, of course, there's some curiosities when they're talking about how God's days are like a thousand years for us. Easy, right? Maybe not so much. But I'm getting ahead of myself. And as much as I would love to unpack this entire book for you all, there simply just isn't enough time. And so my hope today is to give you guys a 10,000 foot view so you guys can perhaps read it for yourselves later on with better insight, perspective, and direction. But speaking of 10,000 foot views, do we have any thrill seekers in here? Any, anybody who likes like roller coasters? All right, what about the ultimate like skydivers? Any skydivers? Anybody done skydiving? Oh, I gotta do that one day. What about bungee jumping? Anybody buddy bungee jumpers? All right, here's a thrill seeker. Anybody ever raised, raised teenagers? Yeah. All right, we're still praying for you guys. It's, it's scary. I get it. Well, when I was a teenager once, I was uh, uh, down in Gulf Shores with some uh, friends of mine, their families, and we had enjoyed a lot of the attractions down there. And this particular venue that we were at, in the middle of it was this huge bungee jumping tower. Now, I gotta be honest with you guys, I'm afraid of heights. Like, I typically have no desire to force myself to face that fear. I really don't like the insides of my body feeling like jello either. Well, we had walked past it a few times and not many people were jumping, and then I heard this voice over the intercom that changed my life. It said this, the next few people that jump get two free t-shirts. Guys, I don't know what happened to me. My logic went out the window and I was like, two t-shirts, I'm in. I ran to the counter, signed my name up, and I went and got ready for bungee jumping. I don't need two t-shirts, but I signed up for it to risk my life for it. Long story short, I get to the top, I see a 360 degree view of the horizon and I'm shaking in my boots, I can't even look. I just wanna pay attention to make sure I don't accidentally fall off and not enjoy it somehow. And so, as the story goes, I face my fears, hopefully to survive, and definitely to get my shirts and not lose my life. So the instructor told me, he goes, okay, look, you gotta go to the edge, listen for me to count to three, and then jump. My friends and my families were down below watching my stupidity, and I'm realizing in this moment, I don't need another T-shirt. Why am I doing this? But here we are. One, the instructor starts counting. Two, I'm looking at, all right, where am I gonna land? Where am I gonna land? Three, I jump, and as soon as I jump, I hear, wait! <laughs> oh, guys, I screamed like a baby wanting his mommy, all the way down, and up, and down. <laughs> I was terrified. Come to find out there was nothing wrong, that's just something they do to make you scream louder. I guess it's sort of some advertisement or something. I didn't think it was funny, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. But I got my t-shirts, so much like my bungee jumping experience, we are going to look at 2 Peter from an aerial view today. We're gonna to drop into different verses, hopefully to get a better perspective of what he's trying to teach us today. 
And also like my story, as you guys jump in with me, I wanna ask you this. What do you put your trust in? How do you know what is true and worth it? How do you even know that what I'm gonna share with you today is true? What will be waiting for us at the end of this bungee jump activity called life of up and downs? How do we know at the end of it there's something better than t-shirts? So the context here, our 10,000 foot view of 2 Peter starts us off looking at similar questions that he's asking his audience. Do you know what your truth is? Do you know who you are? It is believed that Peter is writing to a group of churches that he has had influence over, perhaps the same people that he wrote in the first letter. But something has come to his attention that warrants another letter. There are some lies that are circulating. There are some false teachers and teachings that are going around. And if not dealt with, those that are faithful under his care could experience some real damage. So Peter writes this letter to remind them. And he states it at least twice. He says, I want to stir you up. The Greek word that he uses here is, I want to wake you up. And so here we are, listening to what Peter has to say, saying, wake up. <clears throat> Anyone ever been around someone who has just been knocked out, just woken up from being knocked out or passed out? I mean, it's a scary thing. Their eyes are wide. They're trying to see what's happening. And as those people who are uh, scared and, and checking on them, they're asking them certain questions like, hey, do you, do you know where you are? Uh, uh, do you know who you are? What day is it? Right? Do you know what happened? And so forth. I think about the story of Genesis when Adam and Eve were left alone to rule over the garden. They were doing okay until this slippery little serpent shows up and essentially asks, did God really say that? As if to say, do you know who you are? Do you know what's going on here? So essentially, they were cloudy at best at what God had said and completely ignored him at worst. And they sinned and they ate the fruit. So when God shows up, knowing that humanity has just been knocked out, Adam and Eve were left ashamed and naked. But ultimately, they both forgot who they were and what God had told them. This is the situation that we find Peter in today in writing this letter. He is checking in on his churches and he's finding that they have forgotten some important truths. And even more so, some have even adopted some unfortunate lies. And he's trying to stir them up, to wake them up, to remind them of something that they've forgotten. Remind them of who they are and what they've been told by God. Well, what did they forget? I'm glad you asked, because that's the first point that Peter wanted this audience to know, but it's also the first point that we're gonna learn today too. Remember, you have been granted promises. We've been granted promises. Read along with me, excuse me, with me in 2 Peter 1, three through four, and it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything we need through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence through Jesus Christ, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Through Jesus, he has given us promises. And so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, heavenly things, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. You see, this verse shows us two things that Peter is reminding his readers and even us today. He's asking this question. What actually happened to you when you experienced Jesus? Remember that first time if you've been blessed to experience Jesus, what, what came over you? 
What came alive in you? Why did you seek him? Take the time to always remember this because Peter points out two major things here. One, the knowledge of Jesus, right? This is that conversion experience that we should all experience. I was once this way and now I'm this way. Or if you're blessed enough to be able to say this, that I have always known the good life of Jesus in the face of this world. It's a blessing. There's this contrast between the world and Jesus, the divine world and the sinful lost one. But because we've experienced Jesus, what in this encounter has he given us promises in? Like, what has he said? In the Greek, this is, only, this is the only place in the entire Bible that we use this word for promises. And I think it's because Peter wants to highlight something very specific. I believe it's because Peter wants us to know the exact promises Jesus has given us straight from his lips. Just to refresh our memory, I wanna go over a few that I have kind of looked over to prepare for this. The very first one that we have all heard, but we maybe never read it before, in Mark 2, 5, and in Luke 7, 8, in Mark, he is healing a paralyzed man, and in Luke, he is healing a woman who has been paralyzed by sin all her life. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, if you are burdened in all of this world, come to me and I will give you rest because my burden is light in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. And he says, if you come to me, I will never turn you away because God has called you to me in John 6, 37. And when you come to me, if you feel uh, worthless, you have no value, unclean, spiritually, emotionally, physically, I will cleanse you in Luke 5, 12. Or not only will I clean you, not only will I make you whole again, I will give you a new purpose. I will use you. I will make you fishers of men in Matthew 4, 19. And I will be with you even until the end of the age in Matthew 28. And when it's all over, I will confess you before my God or I will deny you before my God in Matthew 10, 32, 33. Don't miss this, guys. We are talking about Peter who wrote this letter. He was the leader of the disciples that Jesus left behind when he ascended into heaven. So Peter is telling us, I have heard these exact words in my very own ears. I'm not just making this stuff up. It's not just some gut feeling. I'm recalling what he said. Even more so, I have seen with my own eyes Jesus transform into his full self. A true king in all of his glory. This is who Jesus is, Peter tells us. This is what he has told us, and this is what he is like. How often do we really remember our first encounter with Jesus? Have we gotten so busy in our lives and, 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 and twirling in our days that we no longer carry that, that, that memory, that moment in significance? This is really true for all of us. We've forgotten what that experience meant to us. We need to relive it every day. I liken it to married couples that have grown so comfortable with each other that they forgot to continue to pursue each other like they did the first time they met. Side note, keep pursuing each other. It's fruitful, it's worth it. But Peter wanted his audience to remember to continue to pursue all that was holy in Christ. Don't give up, keep pursuing him, keep remembering it. Keep the first love that they first experienced and not forget that Jesus has forgiven them of their sins. Because these false teachers had forgotten that. And altogether, they quit continuing, they, they no longer pursued Christ. 
They lost their way. So I have a really tough question today. Have we lost our way? Some of us need to remember these promises straight from Jesus' lips. You know, many of you guys know that I have little ones. I've got a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And if you've ever had little ones, you know that their memory is really short. <laughs> well, as soon as they come into the house, the shoes go off, thrown somewhere, I don't know, behind the fridge, clothes, maybe even underwear, and they're just running around wild until you have to leave and you're like, hey guys, where's your shoes? And they look at you like blank stares. It's like you just had them on like a second ago. And so as you get ready to leave, you guys are swirling the house like vultures hoping that they show up. But if your kids were anything like mine, for some reason, it's not the shoes we're looking for, it's some unimportant thing that they lost two years ago that they need that day before you leave. Why? And for my daughter, it's like a toy phone, but not any toy phone. It's like this stone that they put stickers on that looks like a phone that she has to have that they made two years ago and she wants to take with us today. It's ridiculous to me, but it is of utmost importance to her. So in those times, we stop and go, okay, where's the last time you played with it? When's the last time you saw it? Where was it when you last experienced it? And we retrace our steps back to where it was. And more often than not, we find it. Some of us need to stop wandering in circles in our struggles, and we need to retrace our promises back to Jesus. Remember who he says that we are. Remember the promises that he has given us. It is of utmost importance to us because there's lies floating about and remembering this can help us determine what truth is. If you're wandering in hopelessness today, loneliness today, wherever you're sitting, remember God said, Jesus through his own lips said, I will not turn you away. I will be with you always. If you feel like you're unclean, maybe you're struggling with something that you just feel like you can't shake physically or spiritually, Jesus says, I will clean you. I will make you whole again. Even more so, I will give you a purpose. I will use you. Retrace your promises back to the moment when you first met him because he is still the same person then as he is today. He still wants you. He still loves you. His promise still stands. The very first encounter is still true for you and me. In the face of our wandering, the lies that we are fighting, retrace your promises so that you know what truth is. If you have never experienced that, Jesus is there for you even today for the very first time. Because it gets to our second point. When we know him, we know what truth is. When you know him, you know truth. And this is the next reason why Peter writes this letter. There are some teachers uh, uh, that, are, that are spreading these lies among them, right? But helping his audience remember who they are and who Jesus is helps them to determine the difference between them and the false teachers. Because the false teachers, they've forgotten Jesus, and even some have denied him altogether. So to Peter, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know truth. And if you don't know truth, you will follow any lie. 2 Peter 2.2 says, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. To me, this is no different than what we have learned before in the book of Judges 21.25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
For those of you guys who are not familiar with the book or the stories of Judges, it was not really pretty for Israel. Essentially, everything that Israel was supposed to be, they ended up becoming something far worse. They were supposed to be a people of God, but they ended up being a people of despair. They were supposed to be a blessing to the nations, but they ended up being even a burden to themselves. They forgot who their God was, and they did not have a king. When we follow our own sensualities, our own ways, we essentially said we have no king. When we replace or remove our king, we lose any true standard of right and wrong in our lives, and it becomes a free-for-all. But Peter just reminded us all that we do have a king, and his name is Jesus. Amen? He even tells us that in his own words, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, in John 14, 6. Ironically, with Peter, he is teaching us in this chapter that these false teachers are spreading a rumor that we have freedom to do whatever we want and really live whatever way makes us feel good and happy. But they never ran that by their king and his truth. In fact, they end up falling into a life of emotional and spiritual slavery. 2 Peter 2.19 says, they promised them freedom, that's the false teachers, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. What are some ideas that we have in our minds, some ways of life in our lives that we never run by God or before his word? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden, right? That question, did God really say that? How do we know we're not making the same mistakes as them? Do we even know what he said? You see, we can't defend ourselves from lies if we don't know what truth is. Remember the uh, WWJD fad, the, the everybody had it tattooed on their forehead, all that kind of stuff like that? I think what we also needed at that time is WDJS. What does Jesus say? When we don't know what Jesus said, we end up being mastered by lies. There's an interesting measurement about measuring something or uh, mastering something. And if you want to master some skill, and the rule, the rule of thumb is that it takes about 10,000 hours of doing something to master it, right? But what if we look at the same thing, at a concept of what it took to master us? 10,000 hours broken into the average workday equals 1,250 days, roughly. Three and a half years-ish. It makes sense then for many master programs in education to take roughly two to three years. So whatever you spend that much time on eventually identifies you, right? It changes you. It affects the way that you function. Now consider this. You have been mastered by the world and the ways that seem right to it. As it says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And then this man, Jesus, right? He gives you a new life, a new hope, a new direction, a new wisdom, and promises. If you've experienced that, do you remember it? For he says in John 8, 31, as he's talking to some Jews who began to believe in him, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we don't really abide in his word, do we? We don't even know what it says. 
and we go back to our previous ways, in a sense, our previous depravity. As if we're drowning, right? And we're pulled out of the water and someone gives us CPR and, and we sit up and before they can check our vital signs, we jump up, run back to the pool and do a cannonball back into the water and start drowning all over again. It's absurd, right? This is exactly what Peter is comparing the lessons of the false teachers to. If we have been set free indeed, then why do we go back to the things that we were once freed from? This is where Peter places that most aptly poetic verse about the dog returning to its vomit. Verses chapter 2, 22. Guys, this is a real thing. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but as disgusting as it might be, there is a foolishness about dogs that has them curious to go back to what they've already rid their lives of. As if they forgot it didn't set well with them the first time. But maybe, just maybe, it'll be better the second time around. Oh, no. Okay, I know it gets a little squeamish talking about that, but Peter's words here serve their purpose. It should be repulsive to consider it. Yet we know people, perhaps even ourselves, that come to Christ but forget his ways and his words. I've shared this a lot with my friends uh, before, particularly when they're struggling with any sin. I said, until we see our sin as wicked enemies, we will always see them as fair-weather friends. Until we get angry about their existence in our lives, we will always open our lives right back up to them. It's got to be repulsive to us. And we can't see sin as sin without his word showing us the way. So please hear me out, guys. This, this truth, this word is just as much for me as it is for anybody that's listening right now. We need to know what Jesus says about us and what it means to live life to the fullest. Peter is making this point that false teachers are such because they don't believe what Jesus says. And since they don't believe in him, they have no clue what he teaches. They believe their own ways. I pray we all receive an extra hunger for God's word today so we can really taste and see how good it is. And when we taste it, we end up retracing our steps back to Jesus, remembering his promise each step of the way. You have forgiven me. You have cleansed me. You will use me. You are still with me. You are my king. Which brings us to the grandest of all lies that Peter wanted to address. Not only did some say that there was no king, but they said, if there is a king, he's not coming back. This might be the primary reason why Peter writes this letter. It's this point, it's our last one for today. Remember, Jesus is coming back. 3, 4, Peter says, they will say, talking about the false teachers, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Guys, I don't want to take this for granted. In all my years of teaching kids in junior high, I remember one evening we were teaching about Jesus coming back, right? His promises and truths to be back. And to my surprise, many of the kids had never heard this before. One junior high boy even stopped us in the middle of us teaching. He goes, wait, this changes everything. I said, yes, you get it. It does. He was absolutely right. Because to remove the return of Christ not only removes the promises, but it also removes the judgment. And if there is no judgment, then there is no accountability. 
which is one reason why the false teachers felt comfortable with living as they pleased. And since Christ hadn't returned yet, many doubts were seeping in. Will he ever return? Why doesn't he do something against these false teachers? Why doesn't he do something against these injustices? Unless they're correct. You see the slippery slope that this creates? Maybe you've experienced that yourself, asking, where is Jesus? After Peter reminds the audience that God has been active since creation, not only in dishing out justice, but also embracing those who have been redeemed and rescued, he shares this truth in 3, 8, and 9. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Mm. Do not get confused and start using this as uh, some unit of measurement. It is equally giving us a glimpse of the massive difference of perspective between us and God. In the grand scheme of things of time, our lives is but a blink in time. What we think is forever is just a deep breath of God, a sigh, if you will. But yet, as small and quote unquote as insignificant we may be, he still considers us each worth eternity. Mm. His delay can be good for us, like a good cooked meal. Right? If it doesn't cook long enough, it's unfinished. It'll make you sick if you eat it. If it cooks too long, it's useless. You gotta throw it away. God is preparing the perfect timing for us. He is patient with us and gracious to us as we continue to come to him. How many of you guys have ever heard this threat before? Wait until your father gets home. Yeah, we still say that. Might even be your mom, depending on who's got the, who's got the disciplinary gene in their life. But if you're like me, this always carried a deep connotation of punishment. Your dad will deal with you when he gets home. So I would anxiously await my impending doom. I'm just curious, did anybody else ever like stuff pillows or books in their pants to not feel the discipline? Is that just me, maybe? Sorry, just figured I'd get that out there. But that phrase, wait until your father gets home, also means something else. It can also be used to highlight the waiting to see what kind of gift your parent is bringing you from their travels. When I was traveling for school, I, I would hate leaving my kids and my family, and they hated it too. So to make it a little easier, I would promise them a surprise, a toy of some sort, so that they knew that next time they saw me, I would come bearing gifts. In Jesus's return, both these concepts are on full display. He will come bringing life to the fullest, but he will also bring justice. In this meal, you can't have your dessert without your vegetables. Jesus is the bringer of both. So Peter finishes up urging his audience once again to remember who they are, to persevere in the truth and godliness of who Jesus is. For in many ways, if they forget who he is, they forget who they are. And that's the truth for us today as well. So in closing, Today, when you consider 2 Peter, what truth do you need to be reminded of? Do you find yourself lost in the midst of lies? Is there a way of life that you have never 
put before God and seeing what his word actually says. Do you know your promises? In the famous fairy tale of Hansel and Gretel, the siblings are left in the woods far away from home. And the first time that they experience this, they use these white shining pebbles as they're walking away from home, they drop them down. And so in order to find their home, they retrace those pebbles back home. Well, the second time this happens, however, they use breadcrumbs. And when they went to retrace their steps, the crumbs were gone, eaten by the creatures of the woods. For you and me, Let's build our lives on promises that last, that point back to Jesus, our home. Let's not put our lives on promises that this world will take away, that perish. You are forgiven. You are mine, and I am yours, and I will come back for you. John 14, three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you also may be where I am. Today, do you know that you can still trust Jesus? You see, every day we step out of our beds and we jump into our daily routines, only hopefully ending up back in our beds at the end of the day. All of us are in this bungee jump, jump rope act of life, right? We all are trusting in something to keep us from falling flat on our face to the ground, failing the jump. We all also are chasing after prizes in this life, rewards. Hopefully it's not t-shirts, but we wanna know that this life is worth it. Every day we pick up our truths and jump, and every day we seek the prize. All I'm asking today is, will your truths last longer than Jesus's? Will your prize be more rewarding than his? You see, we have an everlasting truth and promise because we have an everlasting person on our behalf in Jesus. He is eternal, so therefore his promises never fade. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come before your word today and learn that you are still for us, that we can pound the floor and scream your name and knowing that you still believe that we are worth saving. So may we lay our lives before you, measure it by your word. May we remember the promises that you've given us. We love you and we praise you. And I pray. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Obenheisen, musical worship director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit us online at hopechurchmemphis.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Again, thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast.